0: All the way from the 1920s to the 2010s, it was find me, sell me, like hunt me down and then sell me, convince me that your product's the best and convince me, sell me, handle my objections, corner me, whatever it may be. Find me, sell me. Well, the consumers changed to hear me, help me in the generosity generation.
1: You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, General Manager of the U.S. Market for Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents leverage the power of verified reviews. You can find out more at ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 281 of the Real Estate Sessions Podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Really, thank you so much for telling a friend. And today we're going to talk about relationships, referrals, and the seven levels of communication. Yep, I've got author, trainer, coach, speaker. Michael Mayer is my guest. I had a chance to meet Michael at the Jacksonville RE Bar Camp the last time they held one, which would probably have been a little over a year and a half ago. Very interesting guy. Great story. Huge sports fan, so it was very easy to connect. But he's doing some wonderful things, uh, helping realtors and really other business owners as well, understand the power of, of communication conversations and how to turn relationships into referrals. So let's get this thing started. Michael, welcome to the podcast.
0: Wow. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, always good to talk to an old friend and uh, man, I'm looking forward to this. Thanks for having me on.
1: Michael, I read Seven Levels about two years ago, which I know is really late in the life of Seven Levels. <laughs> it's been around for a long time, Seven Levels of Communication. And uh, and then I, after reading the book, I, I'm at a bar camp in, in Jacksonville. And who walks into one of the sessions about relationships but, uh, but you? And you're there. You had stopped in and you were in the area. And I thought that was really cool. And I got to meet you there. Uh, we actually had a chance to go out and get something to eat with a with a Sean carpenter and a bunch of his fraternity brothers from the University of Florida so apologize to anybody that doesn't like Florida um, but well, but we had a great time and so I'm, I'm glad that we we're able to connect reconnect here
0: well I, I love it I you know that's the beauty of those is uh, I get the the opportunity sometimes to to stop in and and get to a, a conference I don't get to do that very often Uh but, uh, it happened to be in the area somebody invited me over and I thought, well, you know what, let's, let's see what happens. And it, it turned out, uh, you know, you go from kind of just stepping in to, you know, pretty soon you're doing two sessions. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's- so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and, and, uh, a lot of great people there. I love Sean and, and, uh, it was great to hang out with his fraternity brothers and some of the Florida peeps and, you know, it was good.
1: Yeah. Um, I like to start at the beginning of my podcast, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I know that uh, your business, you, were, you, you were born and raised in in the Missouri area, uh, Kansas side of Kansas City. Yep. Okay, on the yep. Kansas
0: side. Yeah, yeah, and that is fighting words, just so you know, right? That Kansas, Missouri, you know, there's a border war there. So, so you know, we do make sure that hey, it is the the, the Kansas side. Though I did do real estate in on Kansas and on Missouri sides.
1: So, so that's that's interesting because whenever it seems like most people make the mistake the wrong way. They go, "Oh, Kansas City must be in Kansas," but right. but there's the bulk of Kansas City. Is that a fair assessment? Is in Missouri? Yeah, like seventy five percent. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, yep. Um, so you you grew up there. I'm going to assume a Kansas City fan. So it's got to be Royals and Chiefs and all that stuff.
0: So sports-wise, Chiefs for sure. I'm also a Falcons fan and have been forever, which uh, is very interesting. Had nothing to do with the move, but just happened to uh, be a Falcons fan for a long time. And then uh, on the baseball side, Royals and Cardinals fans – Forever and they never played each other, right? Remember the AL never played the NL and the NL right. never played the AL until nineteen eighty-five, which was the the I-70 series in the World Series. And it was uh it was that was really tough on me, man. I had I I was like ro- rooting for the Royals and rooting for the Cardinals. And uh luckily it went to, you know, six or seven games and it was uh it was a good battle. So
1: was that the one with Don Denkinger, the umpire had that mm-hmm really yeah. weird. Call. Oh boy. It
0: yeah. was either game five or six. And, yeah. uh, yeah, what it had kind of a bad call. Royals came back to win it. And what was interesting is because of that, I actually was kind of rooting for the Cardinals the next game and it didn't end up the way that the, the Royals ended up blowing them away. But, but, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting to see my emotions at that point just. Seeing two of my favorite teams go against each other for the for the first time, and I knew it was possible. I saw it coming, but it's just different when it's like, you know, if it was a boxing match and both the kids were yours, you know, who do you root for? You know, you root for. Hopefully, nobody gets hurt.
1: I I, I think it's great that the Midwest, right? That whole St. Louis, Chicago kansas city that whole thing you know there's it's it's a there's huge rivalries that go on in that so it had to be kind of unique to to have two favorite teams in that same region
0: yeah well like i said they didn't play each other yeah until until that time so it it was easy to root for them separately you know even to this day espn app i i have the royals the braves and the cardinals that pop up and give me their scores first you know that's great so it's all good i'm a yeah. i'm a I'm a huge sports nut. I, I love sports and have a big sports family.
1: Well, let's talk about that a little bit, right? I know as yeah. we were uh, having dinner and a beer, we talked a lot about sports for you growing up. i mean you you played multiple sports in high school. you mm-hmm. went on to play in college. Just talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that side of uh, of yeah Michael. It's just
0: amazing how many life lessons I got from sports. You know, the nice thing about baseball is you're going to fail most likely more often than but hard work, practice eventually leads to the point where you're better. You know, you have a better chance. You the it, it's it's kind of like real estate where if you look at real estate as a game, the the better you are at it, the more enjoyable the game is. You know, if if you suck at baseball, Baseball will eat your lunch or football, any of. But really, baseball is kind of that game that's as much. You know, I think Yogi Berra said that. You know, ninety percent of it is mental, and the other fifty percent is f- physical. Right. Right. So, you know, it 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 really is big time mental, and and you know that's what I love about baseball is just uh, you strike out, you get back up, and and you learn how to recover quickly, and that's that's kind of a great adage for life is that you know it's kind of mastery is my word for life. My license plate on my car is mastery. M A S T E R Y. I believe in mastery. And if you're headed towards mastery at mastery, it's, it's fun. You know, it's enjoyable. It looks easy to everybody else, right? You look at a major leaguer, catch a fly ball. It looks so graceful and easy. And what you don't see is the 10,000 fly balls they took before that, where you know, they, they backpedaled and fell down or they turned the wrong way, or, you know, they had their glove positioned the wrong way, or they took the wrong angle. I mean, there's a million things that could go wrong. So it it's, I, I've said something that's a little controversial before, which is it's easier to be excellent than it is to be mediocre. And, and that's the truth because, because when you are excellent, you you get more opportunities you're attracted more things you do things easier because you have achieved a level of excellence you know when you're mediocre everything's hard everything's hard getting up is hard going to work is hard talking to your boss is hard talking to your friends over a beer is hard yeah i suck at what i do so you know i'm having another beer so you know and then on the football side something that i learned was you know my junior year in high school i broke 22 Passing and total yards records had a really, a really solid year. Team was like six and five. We were really starting to grow into this new offense, and then our coach got fired. Mm. So my senior year, and I worked all summer on passing, and and you know we were running a passing offense when everybody else was kind of running running offenses. My senior year, I came back and we had a new coach, and he was going to run a new offense called a wishbone offense, which is not a passing offense, and was very much based on running. Well, we get into the uh, first week of practice, and we start to go into the offense, and Michael Mayer is not the quarterback, and I had, you know, this is, you know, medium-sized town in Kansas, and uh, I, a little bit of my identity was around quarterback of the team, right, and so it was very disheartening. I remember going home to my dad and going, I'm quitting football. I'm going to just get out of it. He goes, okay. You know, and I go, what? <laughs> like, I thought he would argue with me.
1: Yeah.
0: And and then he goes, how bad do you want it? And I, I tell you, I thought on that for about 24 hours. And then I thought, man, you know what? I want it pretty bad. So I went to practice that Monday And I kicked, butt. I literally, every extra, when we ran the big lap in the beginning, I was 50 feet ahead of the next guy. When we finished, we went through the drills. I was going 110%. When we did offense against defense, I had the second string offense. We were kicking butt against a great defense. And so... The, the the long story short of all that I, yes i became the quarterback yes we ended up going to state for the first time in Gardner's Edison's history or in like a long time and um had a great season what's interesting though is i found another gear in michael mayer when i won it and i just i now have that gear to tap into it's like having a corvette and and you thought it had 6 gears and then all of a sudden you discover seventh gear and seventh gear has another peel out ability in it, mm. you know, and I yeah. found the seventh gear, uh, in me and, and I've kind of been able to leverage that I've kind of been able to, to get into that seventh gear a few times in my life and it's made all the difference. And I think everybody, everybody has a, an, another gear in them that they can tap into, but some have never, never explored it, never dis- discovered it. It's like the exercise I do when we're speaking. It's like, all right, reach as high as you can. High, as, come on, reach. And then I go, all right, reach a little higher. Every single one can reach higher. Why yeah. didn't you just reach that height from the beginning? You know.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that uh, personally. <laughs> Everybody reached a little higher. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, was. Real estate in your thoughts? while, while you're in college, were you thinking that way? Usually, the answer is no. Am I? Am I right there? No. Yeah. No.
0: I, I started out electrical and computer engineering. My strengths were math and science, okay. uh, which is interesting. You know, it it goes to show just how little those tests really know. Yeah, I was strong in math and science, but I, you know, it didn't measure people skills. Right. It didn't didn't measure a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, my my dad got cancer halfway through my junior year of college. And so I was the one that was kind of in the position out of the five kids to go home. And so I took care of him for three years while he battled cancer, lost that battle. And then when I went back, I had the time during those two or three years to think about like what I really wanted to do. And I, I wanted to coach, you know, I wanted to, To get into coaching and teaching and and honestly doing a lot of what my dad did because I I did have more of the people skills and the leadership skills. So I went back, got my secondary education degree in, in mathematics so that I could be a high school math teacher and coach. I became a high school math teacher and coach, coached three sports, you know, for three years. In the summers, the first two years, I did curriculum development because the government will pay you to do that. And it was pretty lucrative, but by the end of my second summer, I had developed all the curriculum I could for my classes. So I was looking for a summer job. And at the same time, I bought my first home. Hmm. So I I bought my first home and uh, built a home. And the on-site agents were just like, oh my gosh, you'd be so good in real estate. You'd be so good in real estate. And I was like, well, I'm looking for a summer job. So, and they had this little scholarship program that they would give you. They would pay for the class if you hung your brokerage with them, right? Or hung your license with the brokerage. So I, I was like, that's a no brainer, right? I can do it for free. So I got my license, and it, it. Uh, I did pretty well that first summer. I had, I had a really nice client on my softball team, and ended up I had a housewarming party for them because I played softball a lot. And what we did as guys, is we, we, we drink a lot of beer and partied a lot, right? And so I had a party for him Well, I got 11 referrals at, at my very first housewarming party for my very first client. And now I had, I went from like, this is kind of a nice part-time gig to holy crap. I have a lot of people to follow up with. And then I, you know, I had a housewarming party for my second client who I didn't know as well. And I ended up getting five or six referrals from that one. And then I had another housewarming party and I got like seven or eight from that one and all of a sudden i'm sitting on 20 30 deals and you know that that next year of teaching was really tough because i was calling on breaks any off day i was doing showings weekends were so busy cuz i had softball and i had had real estate the next year i just i just had to i just had to go full time real estate because it was it was i my first summer of real estate people will laugh about this i made more in those 3 months than I did in the nine months teaching and coaching three sports and working literally six a.m. to sometimes nine or ten p.m. Wow!
1: So yeah, look if you're a coach at a at a high school level, look out. I mean you're 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 at the you're on campus all the time. One of, one of the key phrases you use a lot is you know turning relationships into referrals. Mm-hmm. And seems to me like maybe that aha moment came pretty quick in your career. Like how about the very first sale? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. I think that's amazing. I mentioned seven levels of communication at the beginning and uh, I, I, my, my word for many years has been you know conversations. And I think that seven levels of communication is is really um, all about having better conversations, more meaningful conversations in the the pyramid that you, you that you built in the seven levels, uh, the seven levels pyramid, um, I'd love for you to talk about that and how that came about. And then you know, since we're talking about the book, you know Rick Masters and Michelle. The whole parable style, right? That that you used made it such an easy, fun read. Coach was amazing. You know the whole thing. So mm-hmm. can you talk about that.
0: Yeah. So I mean, first and foremost, on the the relationships to referrals is you know, and and you hit it on the head. I mean, you're wise beyond you know beyond most. And you know, it is about conversations and. And that was the one thing that I was told early on is it's a contact sport, it's a numbers game, things like that. And what I discovered is that are those conversations negative conversations or are they positive conversations? And, And we need to avoid neutral and negative conversations and we need to have as many positive conversations as possible. So that triggered the entire 7L system, which is how do I have the most amount of positive conversations in the shortest amount of time? And, and, and that's really the house ring parties and that's the events and that's the one-on-ones and the, the handwritten notes and, and that kind of thing. It's amazing how you can turn a neutral into a positive with something as simple as a handwritten note, you know? So the, the seven levels of communication that the bottom level is advertising. The second level above it is direct mail. And then above that, you have electronic communication, which is a lot of things, email, zoom, uh, social media even some forms of texting, that kind of thing. And then the middle level is handwritten notes, and it has its own level because it is a superpower. It is a powerful level. It is a great bridge uh, between the bottom three levels, which I call the informational zone. Hmm. The informational zone is great for informing. It's great for confirming. It's great for updating. It's great for uh, a little bit of the brand development, but it's not great. For influencing, selling, or convincing, you know it's just not. Hmm. And then the top three levels are phone calls, events, and seminars. And then the top level is how sales have been done for forever, which is one-on-one. You know, one-on-ones are are critical, and I mean they they do take more energy, uh, they do take more focus. But a person will reveal to you more in a one-on-one situation, and will be sold. More likely, or want to buy more likely in a one-on-one situation than any other situation. Yeah. So, uh, the top three levels I call the influential zone. If if you if you want to influence, convince, or sell, you're going to want to do it with a phone call, with an event, or with a one-on-one. And those are the the seven levels. So you know, as a thought, the seven levels of communication and the pyramid could be a little boring right? could be, it could be a little straightforward. And what I didn't want to do is just write a book called the seven levels of communication, where I went through the seven levels, blah, blah, blah. What I wanted to do is, okay, here's how you wield or weld the weapons of the seven levels of communication. How do you use the seven levels of communication to go from relationships to referrals? Cause everybody has relationships, Everybody has relationships, and people say it's all about relationships. It's it's not. It's it's about referrals, right? I mean, it's like let's let's. It's a business, right? So it, you got to go from relationships to referrals, right. and so that's. I wanted to talk about strategies. How to use them together? How to use them in in combination? Things like the 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 four forty four, which is four things you can do in four minutes to get four days of excellent service and convert a zero to a ten on the relationship scale, which is as soon as you meet with someone, you text them and say, thank you. You email them and say, thank you. This is the email. You know, I wanted to make sure your email was correct. And then you leave a voicemail for them uh, by calling them, right? You can do that through slide aisle, or you can just call them at work or whatever it may be. And then you write them a handwritten note, which gets there three or four days later. Well, you might think, well, that's four things. That's pretty intense. Well, they don't get them all at the same time. They get the text message, maybe immediately. They get the phone call, maybe never, maybe later, right? They get the email much later because they're probably driving at this point or whatever it may be. So they, they get these at different stages and then they get the handwritten note three or four days later. So it's not necessarily, you know, the seven levels of communication that is important. It's how you use them. And so I had this big, giant, ugly manuscript bill that was like a hundred thousand words. And it was, it was just like, kind of like the complete seven L system in yell at you, tell it, tell you form. And, and I was just like, I, I really kind of thought about it and I was like, you know what? I really enjoy stories to read, you know, Ken Blanchard was an influence. Mm -hmm. Uh, he had the whole Ken Blanchard series like raving fans and, um, you know, all the, the referral of a lifetime where it was essentially a a story, uh, they were more basic, right. They had kind of like one idea that they got through, but that's where it kind of came from is, you know, the nice thing about a story is you can not only tell people what to do, you can show them. And so Rick masters could show how to use the, the, the strategies. Michelle could show how to use the strategies. And it would make a more enjoyable read, right? And who doesn't yeah. love a love story,
1: right? Yeah, no, it's great, it's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was really well done. So, um, and, th- and then you follow that up, you know, relatively quickly with you get together with um, I forget the name of the author for Miracle Morning. You are going to tell Hal, Halrod, nah, Elrod. Yeah. Hal Elrod. Yeah. 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 And and you you developed the Miracle Morning for real estate agents, right? Yeah. So I've heard you talk on other podcasts and other shows, you know, about about the the, the how this really helps you know, kind of drive this message in. Do you talk about that a little bit too?
0: Yeah. In 7L, I talk about the four enriching rituals and I, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in these. These are not original to me. I mean, they're original. I mean, I've heard of a morning ritual, nightly ritual, Sunday night ritual, and, and I just kind of put them together. Yeah. And so uh, the four enriching rituals are a, a morning ritual, a nightly ritual, a Sunday night ritual where you do a weekly preview and then you have the pre or the pre leave ritual or the closing ritual, which is before you leave the office, you do some things. Right. And, and then I really, I really feel like the nightly rituals and the morning rituals were kind of things that if I missed them, I felt weird. And if I got them, I had an amazing day. Mm. Well, you know, we're teaching the 7L system, 7L system. And then this guy calls me, we happen to have the same coach and it was Hal Elrod. And he goes, Hey, listen, I've got this morning ritual thing that I'm working on. And, and I, I think, I think you'd like it. You might, if I send you a book. So he sent me the miracle morning and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is so good. This is, you know, this, this handles literally, you know, six out of the seven things that I do in the morning. And, and it was just like, we got to make something happen. So it was, it was one of those where his miracle morning book was a trigger for, you know what, we got to bring this to the real estate world because in the real estate world, you tend to have less structure than anything else. I help financial planners, lenders, things like that. And they all have their quirks, right? But, but realtors are a more independent independent freedom fighting type of bunch, right? They're, they're the type that wants to to do whatever they want, but they need structure. And, and I really thought that the miracle morning or, you know, the miracle morning for real estate agents, the morning ritual uh, could help them get some structure and get some control of the day. And we have a class called 30 mornings where we teach in 30 days. We literally teach them the entire morning ritual, and they develop their own. Mm. And this class has helped thousands upon thousands of people change their lives. Mostly realtors, and it's uh, it's been so, that's one of the most gratifying things that I've ever done is is develop this thirty mornings class where every morning, Bill, we start at a certain time. We get them up fifteen minutes early every week. So every week, though, right? So, so some people they read it and they're like, "Oh, I get up at nine a.m. I'm going to get up at five a.m." If, that is not what we do, right? I mean, that's right. like, that's that's uh, this is not about getting up earlier. It's about getting up better. Right. But but for most people, getting up better does require getting up maybe an hour earlier than they normally do, right? It doesn't always, but it it, it usually does. And so the seven a.m. class will end up at six a.m. So, but they're going 15 minutes. They don't even notice, right? They just got up seven. Then it was 645 for a whole week. And then it was 630 for a whole week, 615 for a whole week, and then 6 a.m. And before they know it, they're, they're getting up an hour earlier and they're like, oh my God, what do I do with all this time? You know? And, uh, and then we teach the savers methodology. One thing that I added to, uh, the savers, which is silence affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading and then scribing scribbling or basically journaling something I do every morning is something called appreciation. So I appreciate, you know, I appreciate blank because so I appreciate my wife because, you know, she, you know, is awesome at so many different things, whatever it may be, you know, I appreciate my son. I appreciate Bill Risser for having such a great show, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so we added the the appreciations to it and we teach, teach those we teach those seven things during the 30 days.
1: So, wow. when we uh, wrap this up, we'll definitely um, ask how people can get in touch with you so they can find out where all this stuff is. You know, you've created um, the generosity generation. I love the uh, I love the the Gen Gen um, <laughs> alliteration there. That's great. And and I, so I want to ask you. I, I, I talked to a lot of different guests about this. You know, the last few years, um, there's been this. Influx, and I'll use the disruptors word. I know it's overused and kind of clichéish at this point, but things are different in the business—quite different. With you, with what you do and what you teach, did you have to make adjustments? Is it, is it, or is it just like, no, this fits right into exactly what I do? What, how did, how did, how do you handle that? Because I know you have to talk about that when you're, when you're out there doing, doing your thing.
0: Yeah. So the biggest thing is, is I think one of the disruptions is the generosity generation. Mm. I I believe that we are living in a world that appreciates generosity more than ever. Is the world more generous than ever? That that's maybe a question for another show, but, but we are in a scenario where generosity, those who, if you look at car commercials, they're no longer about cars. They're about how they donate when you buy a car. You know, if you look at ads from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even the early 2000s to today, it's radically different. It used to be about I'm number one. Quality is number one. I'm number one. We're the biggest. We're the baddest. We have these trophies. And and honestly, nobody gives a hoot. You know, today's consumer doesn't care if you're number one. They want to be treated like they're number one. And, and it's about the generosity generation, the consumers, what pulled this, you know, I, I just coined it, but we are in the generosity generation where people don't care if you're number one, they, they, they want to hear a different mantra. And the mantra of the current professional is I am here to help. I am here to help. And listen, you know, the old one was find me, sell me back in the, you know, all the way from the 1920s to the. 2010s. It was find me, sell me, like hunt me down and then sell me, convince me that your product's the best and convince me, sell me, handle my objections, corner me, whatever it may be. Find me, sell me. Well, the consumers changed to hear me, help me in the generosity generation. And it's like, hear me, listen, listen to my needs. I mean, especially with Twitter and Facebook, we can listen more than we ever have. Are we listening better than we ever have? And it's like, hear me. And then help me even if you are not the help have a network or or push me or help me to the person who can help me you know and that's that's the current consumer and and you talk about disruption here's the disruption right in the real estate world forever we were in a broker-centric world you know it it was everything was broker-centric everything was about the broker the 50-50 splits the or less and the broker kind of held all the cards, and then Remax came along and invented the the agent centric model ninety five percent, one hundred percent. Then Keller Williams comes along and takes it to the next level, which is all right profit share plus you could eventually do one hundred percent, right? And let's get ours with the cap, and then and then you can get yours, and it 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 worked very well, and they were the king of the agent centric, centric model. EXP has kind of uh, been the rising prints in that field if you will but there's an interesting trend in the in the marketplace which is you know the consumer centric model mm. and 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 that's what the disruptors are doing is is forget the realtors we're not going to cater to the realtors we're going to cater to the consumer the consumer has all the money so so we're going to go and we're going to make the consumer experience all it could be now zillow stumbled into it a little bit with idx and the opportunity that came about with wow there's a shot here we could become a national nobody's doing national listings so we'll become the one that, that does that and you know for many years that i mean it's like everybody hates zillow it's like it is what it is and it's 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 what they did is i mean imagine the millions and billions they've spent without making a profit to, to become the national listing service. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody else took that risk. Nobody else did that. You know, now they're like, we got to make some money. So, so how are we going to do it? And, and right now, honestly, they're one of them that is really kind of winning the consumer centric model. And the future is consumer centric. Our agents have to become more consumer centric. Our brokers need to become more consumer centric uh, because, because whoever goes consumer centric will win. They will win. It's it's been proven time after time after time. So everything you deal with has to be consumer centric. You know.
1: Yeah. Um, you talked about the uh, the help me part of that. The hear me, yeah. help me. Yeah. Who who were your mentors that helped you along the way?
0: Yeah. So I you know I always mentioned three mentors. I I mentioned my father, big time mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean I quote him like so often. Now, I also know that some of the quotes that he told me were quoted from like Jim Rohn or, you know, whoever, um, back in the day, Waddles, William Waddles and, you know, James Ray. Yeah. Uh, so some of the people that he, the, and he was a big sports coach, right? A mm-hmm. fantastic coach. And so my dad, and then Howard Brenton was a, a big time mentor of mine. And in the real estate world, you know, if, if, if you've, if you've been around a while, you know him like so well, and you look at him as like Papa Bear and the big huggable guy, you know, and, and if you're newer to real estate, maybe you don't know who he is. You might want to Google him, check him out. He, he's a mentor to, to a lot of people, to especially the top people. And then uh, Zig Ziglar was a, a big, big mentor of mine. And in fact, we would not have the audio book of Seven L, if it wasn't for Zig ziglar I I remember being down there, had lunch with him and Tom, his son, uh, and Jean, the redhead, which is uh, Zig's wife, and we're we're hanging out, and he's like, Michael, you got to get yourself an audio book. Your client is the reloader. Definitely said incorrectly, right? Yeah, yeah. And But, but he said it for emphasis, right? And then it, it, your, your client is the readletor. They go to automobile university every single day. You got <laughs> to get yourself an audio book, Michael. So, you know what you do when Zig Ziglar says you need to have an audio book? a uh, a place in Orlando for a week and you go down and record a a, a audiobook which I did literally 2 weeks later yeah. you know so you know and the audiobook has been one of our best selling items ever i mean it's it's i mean people don't like to read so i read it for them to them
1: look <laughs> i'm going to raise my hand guilty because yeah. i travel so much across florida in my role at the time with fidelity that when you're doing orlando to tampa on a regular basis why not learn <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I, I'm a huge podcast guy. I, yeah, I'm a huge totally. audiobook guy. Um, I do the elliptical twenty minutes every day. I've become so much smarter on the elliptical. Yeah. Because at twenty minutes of of listening to something good, even to the point where now I can I can watch at YouTube videos for twenty minutes on the elliptical, which sounds crazy, but you, after a while, you just you can you can focus and just go. So. Yeah.
1: What what's what's on the horizon? What's yeah. coming up for um for for a guy like you? It's all about the relationships. Yeah, the convert into referrals. What's mm-hmm. is there something that you're looking at thinking this is going to be important?
0: Well, I think the the I think one of the things that's going to become really big is realtors hosting live events. Mm. I really believe that um, I think that attending events, I think that doing different things with events was, was um, I think that the real estate world tiptoed into it. Now, not the trainers, baby. We've been having events forever and, yeah. and, and that kind of thing. I'm talking about the realtor, realtors hosting, with, partnering with lenders, warranty companies, title companies, and, and hosting events, not just for clients, but for their communities. And these community events, not just client events, let's not call them client events, let's call them community events. Chick-fil-A is already ahead of the game here, right? I mean, it's yeah. like I give them one idea and and they like they take it to the 10x, 100 x and thousand X level. I'm not talking about taking it to a thousand X level necessarily, but but hosting community events for their communities that have a charity benefit, that have an entertainment benefit, have an educational benefit. But also have a referral benefit for the agent, and and I think with you know COVID hopefully becoming constrained and and restrained and and a, hopefully a thing of the past a little bit. Um, that once the live event world is opened up, realtors need to be in the lead at at bringing the communities back together. The communities are very diverse and divisive a little bit right now, you know, and and I think we are catalyst in the community and can, and, and can do a great job of bringing the communities back together uh, in a safe and healthy way. Of course Um, it's already happening. It's already starting to happen, Florida, you know, Arizona, Texas, but in the next two to three years, people need to make sure they have events as part of their business plan
1: for sure. Nice. Michael, I gotta let you go. You, you, I've kept you well past the time I, I asked of you. And I'll I'll wrap up with the same question I've asked every guest. And that's what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started?
0: You can do it. I think that's the biggest thing is you can do it. Just keep going, keep making it happen. You can do it. You know, it it it, it kind of goes back to my son in baseball. It's just I, I used to want to coach him. I want all those. I mean, I have 50 years of baseball knowledge in my head that I, of course, wanted to unload on a 10 year old or 11 year old in one minute. You know, but, but it's like I, I've discovered that there's just two, two phrases that I say, and it's you can do it. Like when he's pitching, he's catching, he's, he's hitting, it's you can do it, right? You can do it in the game. In the game, just think you can do it. You can do it, you know? And, and that is the one thing. I mean, anybody can do real estate, you can do it. You can do it. Just keep learning. You know, on the flip side, it's, it's how bad do you want it? You know, how bad do you want to be successful in real estate? If you want to be successful in real estate really badly. And trust me, once you're successful in real estate, you'll never go to anything else. It's, it's impossible to get real estate out of your blood once it's there. So, so I think you can do it. And then how bad do you want it? And then that second level is, you know, I, I, thing i say to my son is is i love to watch you play right i love to watch you play and people love to watch you play they don't love to watch you complain they don't love to watch you vent on facebook they don't love to watch the problems you have with your consumers other agents please dear god get away from that you know what people do they love to watch you play so how do you make real estate a game that you enjoy and that you play, and it could be something to share with your Facebook, share with your family, share with people in a way that they think, you know what? That person really loves what they're doing. They have a passion for the game and they're having, you know, I love to watch you play. They, they would love to like, here's the thing. People do police ride alongs, right? What, why don't consumers want to do realtor ride alongs? Wow. You know what I mean? It's like, what, what, and and trust me, I've had people who want to do like hang out with me for the day thing. I've had people pay $10,000 to hang out with me for a day, which is those protege for a day auctions. So I, I'm, you know, I feel very weird that day, you know, as they're selling me. Right. Uh, but it, it's one of those where I think it's just like, you can do it. How bad do you want it? And then, and then, you know, I love to watch you play and and I do realtors. I love to watch you play. I, so, so play the game, you know, play, play real estate and enjoy the heck out of it. Get better at it. The better you are at something, the more enjoyable it is. And, uh, just play the game, you know, play the game.
1: Wow. Michael, if somebody wants to reach out to you or get in touch with your organization, what's the best way for them to do that? I,
0: I'll tell you, that's an interesting question. The number one way is join gengen.com. J O I N G E N G E N dot com. It's a it's a free but private Facebook group, and uh, we we do have a filter on it because you got to keep the bots out. We we get hit by fifty bots a day, you know. So it's like we got to keep them out. So there are some questions that you'll need to answer to get in. Uh, join GenGen dot com, and then you can always check us out at ReferCo, Refeco dot R E F E R C O R E F E R ReferCo.com. .com. We are the foremost authority in business referrals, and that's what we do. We help businesses build a, a foundation for referrals on love, generosity, and appreciation. Build your business on a foundation of love, generosity, and appreciation, and the referrals will be attracted to you, and that's that's what we do.
1: Michael thank you so much for your time. today. this was awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed it and it's uh yeah, I knew I knew it would be uh, as good as it was after getting to spend that time with you, seeing you speak uh, and and listening to you uh, read to me <laughs> seven levels of communication. Well,
0: you know what's interesting is I knew it was going to be good too because you're a great interviewer and you're you're smart. You know, what I mean it's like it's like and and you've been around this business for a while. You know, so it it's just like this is This has just been a really fun conversation and and I knew it would be. So
1: thanks for having me, appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash re-sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to the Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app.